All right, let's start today and turn to Revelation, the book of Revelation, and we're into it a little bit, but I'm going to go back a little bit since there's some that haven't been here before. Let's just ask the Lord to bless us as we start today. Lord, we ask that you would bless us today as we look into your word. You revere your word, you say, above your name. So we know what you think of the Bible. And so as we study it, we want to know that we're thinking like you think, Lord. Your thoughts after you as we read, read your word. Bless it to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. We were in Second Thessalonians, and then I decided, because a lot of that has, is prophecy too. So we thought that we would go into Revelation next. And then after Revelation, well, I'm thinking of Genesis. Why not go back at the beginning again? Because some of these people that we're hearing about in Revelation, you go back to Genesis to learn about them. But anyway, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. So heathen people, or people that don't know Jesus as Savior, uh, they can't get anything out of this. It's, it's veiled. So this is for his bond slaves or servants or believers in Jesus. So this is written for believers, things which must shortly take place. Well, see, this was written 2,000 years ago, or not quite, but 2,000 years ago. Anyway, uh, it means when they begin to happen, they will happen very quickly, see, shortly. And they will take place with certainty and quickly. So he sent and signified it. I'm saying that, signified it, because it's in sign language, a lot of it, that you understand from the rest of the Bible. So we'll explain it as we go along, starting at Revelation 1 to begin with, just to, just to review a little bit. So he said, blessed is he who reads and those who hear. So it's, it's meant to be read aloud and you have a blessing for just reading it and hearing the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. So it's John, the same John that wrote John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the Apostle John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Well, Asia would be Turkey today, Asia Minor. The seven churches, there were more than seven, but seven is the number of completeness, fulfillment, just like three is the number of trinity, one is the number of unity. And so um, he says, grace and peace from him who is and was and is to come. Now, who is that? That's Jesus. He's alive now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He was and he is to come. And from the seven spirits, there's only one Holy Spirit, but seven is the complete number. It means the complete Holy Spirit, sevenfold spirit who are before his throne. So a complete Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and the firstborn from the dead. He was the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. So that's the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's made us kings and priests. Did you know that in God's sight, a believer is a king and a priest, a royal priesthood? Royalty. Did you know you were royalty? It's wonderful to think of that. He made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to Jesus, to him, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds. Now, this is his second coming when he comes to earth to set up his kingdom for a thousand years after the tribulation. You see the order here? We're in the church age right now. The next event is the rapture of the church, the catching away of the church to heaven. And then uh, the minute the church is gone, starts this seven year period of revelation, of, of tribulation on the earth, of God judging the earth for its rejection of Jesus Christ. So that's really, why Revelation is here. It's a book of judgment of God on the earth for the rejection of Jesus. And so, behold, he's coming with clouds. Now, the rapture is, is silent and secret. And one of these days, the whole church 
will be caught away to be with Jesus forever. And then we'll start the events of this tribulation. And then after that, he is coming to rule the earth after the tribulation for a thousand years. And that's at the end of Revelation, which we will see when we get there. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. But when he comes in a rapture, so the church is caught away before the tribulation, no eye will see him. It'll be secret. And you just be caught up uh, secretly in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says, at the last trump. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We'll get our glorified bodies. Uh, so he's coming with clouds. This is not the rapture. This is at the end of the tribulation, and every eye will see him. Now, I can imagine my great-grandmother wondering, well, how can every eye see him? But you and I can see how every eye, in, in the, with the technology they have today, that every eye could see him coming. And every eye will see him, and they who pierced him. We talked about that. These are the Jewish people. We will not have him rule over us. We want to get rid of him, crucify him, crucify him. And then we read in Zechariah that when they come to their senses, after they realize who he is, they will say, well, where did you get these nail prints in your hand? And he will say in Zechariah, where I was wounded in the house of my friends. That just makes the goose pimples come on you. I was wounded in the house of my friends. They who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, so now we're back to John telling about this. He said, both your brother and companion in tribulation, in those early days of the church, when the Roman Empire was um, controlling everything, there was terrible tribulation. They would put Christians in animal skins and burn them alive on the light posts. I mean, it was a terrible time. So John, both your brother and companion in tri tribulation, but this isn't the tribulation that's coming, but this was just a troublous time. And in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, he said, I was on the island that's called Patmos for the word of God. So he was banished to this lonely island off the coast of Greece in the Aegean Sea. And as you take a boat trip to the seven churches of Asia Minor, you will pass this Patmos Island. He was there incarcerated for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I take this to be the first day of the week. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, verse 10, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book or a scroll and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia Minor, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And as I was looking at a map of this, your Bible probably has a map of the seven churches, but they're in, it would be Turkey today, but they're kind of starting in the top part of Turkey, a straight line down to the sea. And so they were not more than 50 or 60 miles apart from each other. And there were more churches in this, but these are representative churches. And I take it that there, are, in every generation, there is an Ephesian church and a Smyrna church. There's a suffering church. There's this kind, these were real churches, but I think that in every generation, there are churches like this, even today and in every generation since 2000. 15 or whenever this was written, or 20. So he said, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, this is Jesus, clothed in a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. You know, it says, this is a judgment book. We like to think of Jesus as the loving Lord, but he's going to come back to judge the earth for its rejection of himself and of everything that's God, the Bible and everything that's godly. So 
His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass. Brass always is a symbol in the Bible of judgment. Just like gold is a symbol of royalty, um, brass is always a symbol of judgment, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice is a sound of Niagara Falls, no, of many waters. It could be Niagara Falls. Have you ever stood near a raging waterfall? Well, his voice was like the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things. Now, this is the outline for the book. All of the, the writers that I've read of commentaries, this is the main verse in the whole book of Revelation. Write the things which you have seen. That would be chapter 1, the risen Lord in his glory. White hair and the lamp stands. His head is but judgment and his eyes like a flame of fire. Write the things which you've seen, John, and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. So the things which are are the churches of John's day that we're going to see in chapter 2 and 3. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And, you know, when you see the, turn to the very last chapter of Revelation, and we'll see what Jesus calls himself. In verse 7 of chapter 22, I am coming quickly. Blessed is who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book of Revelation. Pay attention to it. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside the city are dogs. This is a term for homosexuals, sorcerers, sexually immoral, and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the, the bright and morning star. So Jesus Christ is a direct descendant of King David. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who is thirsty. So anybody who's thirsty for the things of God, come. And whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. So the gift of salvation, you can't earn, you don't deserve. It's a free gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We can't earn it because Jesus paid the price for it and with his dying on the cross. And so whoever desires, see, you have to have a desire. You have to want to come. Let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that we're going to read about that are written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of the prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. It's a dangerous thing to tamper with God's word. And some people like to remove certain verses, add other things. Don't tamper with it. If anyone takes away from the words of this book, God will take away from his part in the book of life. So now let's look back at the beginning. I, John, verse 9, both your brother and companion in trouble and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day probably the first day of the week, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, first and the last. What you see, write in a book, send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, in Turkey, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, 
and I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstand is this glorious picture of the risen Lord in his glory. He's girded about the Son of Man, girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool. So this kind of speaks of his, that he always was and always will be. Like a flame of fire, his feet were like fine brass. He had in his right hand seven stars, and the seven stars are these seven churches and the angels of the seven churches. Uh, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, verse 20, are the seven churches. Then chapter 2, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. So evidently every church has a guardian angel. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things, says he. Now Ephesus was on the coast of Asia Minor, Turkey today. It was, in this day, it was a sea coast, but now it's been silted up and you can't get it to it by sea. You have to get there by bus. But all of the ancient ruins are there. You can walk on this main, oh, it's really wide street. It must have been the processional way. And it was the main place for Diana of the Ephesians and this goddess of this filthy thing. The ancient Baalism and ancient heathenism, almost all false religion is based on kinky sex. And you can just write that down, every one of them, whether you want to write kinky or abnormal, whatever you want to say. But that's what it, it's all, Satan loves that, and it's all Satan's plan. Ephesus was a, a mighty seacoast city, the Vanity Fair of that day, and very, very wicked. The vices there are unspeakable. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. Now, evidently, there were false apostles saying, I'm the apostle Paul, or I'm another apostle. They're false apostles, and they aren't at all. And they're liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you in Ephesus, that you've left your first love. When they first became a believer in Jesus, they, it began to fade. Their zeal for him, and they're, like in Christianity, they're Christians that when they first accepted the Lord were on fire for him, and then as days go by, the fire wanes, and they could care less, really. But they're still saved, because you can't lose what's eternal. When he gives you eternal life, that's what it is, eternal life. But you can disappoint him, but you can't lose it. Because when you're born into God's family, you can't be unborn. You can't be unborn out of your family. You may say, I don't want to be in this family. So what? You're in the family, whether you want to be or not. And so that's what it is. When you believe in Jesus, you're in his family. And he wants you to live for him. And Paul calls it a worthy walk. He wants you to have a worthy walk like Paul did. He said, follow my example. He said, you've left your first love. Remember there from where you've fallen, repent, do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly, remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And there is no lampstand in Ephesus today. As you go over there, the boat stops and you take a bus up to the ancient ruins of Ephesus and you walk on the grand, wide, processional way, and you can see all of the ruins of this place, and it's gone. There's no Ephesus today. He said, remember, therefore, for when you've fallen, otherwise I'm going to come to you quickly, remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Well, they didn't, so there's no church there today. But this you have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, we wonder, well, now, what is the Nicolaitans? Nico is victory over the laity, the laity. So evidently, it was a rise of the clergy, where the clergy began to say, we're in charge and you do what we say. You know, maybe like the Roman Catholic Church, that the clergy is over the laity. And so that may be the start of it. The victory over the people, which I hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... And we read in Paul's letters that an overcomer 
is a believer. A believer, so if you're a believer in Jesus today, you're an overcomer. It's part of the package. And he said, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church at Smyrna write, now there's a church in Smyrna today. It's Izmir, Turkey, which is up the coast of Turkey. And the city is called Izmir. And to the angel of the church of Smyrna, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not. You know, I'm just wondering if there's something like this. R.C. Sproul said, I'm a Jew. Well, he's not a Jew. God has Jews and we're believers. He's a believer, but he isn't a Jew. But you can be a believer and a Jew. But who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And this may be the start of replacement theology where the church has replaced Israel. That's what replacement theology, and it's taught in all over this country. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. So when it says ten days, just take it as ten days. So evidently this church was to have an intense ten days of trouble from the Roman authority. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. There are five crowns in this scripture. The crown of righteousness, the crown of rejoicing, a crown of life, the crown of glory, and an uncorruptible or incorruptible crown. There are five crowns mentioned that believers can get for faithfulness. I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So if you're a believer, you're an overcomer, and you will not be hurt by the second death. Well, what is the second death? Well, let's turn to the last chapter of Revelation, chapter 21. By this time in Revelation, the devil who deceived everybody after the thousand-year reign of Jesus, he's going to be let out of his prison and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. Dr. Pentecost said it's like a black hole out in the, just cast out into a black hole in the universe. He was cast out into the lake of fire and brimstone. And he says there are lakes of fire out there now, black holes, where the beast and the false prophet are. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The 11th verse said, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. These are the lost people, famous and infamous, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. See, these are all the lost of all the ages. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life, and your name is in the book of life, I think really about the book of life that at conception, everybody's name, I like to think of it this way from studying it a lot, that everyone's name is in the book of life. God wants everyone. He's not willing that anyone perish. But when you consciously reject Jesus Christ before death, while you're still alive, you still can change your mind. But if you near death and you still reject him, then it's like God crosses your name out of the book of life, and you'll eventually be cast into the lake of fire. So back to where we were at the beginning of Revelation. Do not fear any of the things which you're about to suffer. Verse 10, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. You will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. 
So every believer is in the book of life. And you're an overcomer if you're a believer and you won't experience the second death. The second death would be if I died today, that's my first death. But if I die as an unbeliever, then when God judges everybody, that's the second death. But you will only have one death, and, I, and I'm hoping we won't have any. We'll be raptured and caught away before the tribulation. And I remember Dr. Criswell in my sister's church in Dallas preaching on this. He said they had a wonderful First Baptist Church in Ephesus, he said. <laughs> Everybody laughed in the congregation. And your preacher could say that. They had wonderful Presbyterian church. <laughs> anyway, and the angel of Pergamos write, These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. This was the seed of Satan. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now this brings up a subject. In every generation, there is evidently a city that is the throne of Satan his headquarters on the earth. That's maybe a new thought to you, but in Pergamos, it was a very famous heathen place. Paul went to all these places and started churches. These things, says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Don't you kind of wonder where it is? I think it's someday going to be in Babylon. Finally, as you read the end of Revelation, the Antichrist, that will be his place of, of governing, and he will be Satan's man. We'll come to that later. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. So what is the doctrine of Balaam? Well, let's turn back, because who knows when we'll learn about Balaam. And this is a wonderful passage. Turn to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. Balaam was a believer, but he'd do anything for money. I mean, he was a, well, he was a priest and he was a prophet. So the children of Israel, chapter 22, moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. So you can know when Moses came up out of Egypt with all the children of Israel and they camped on the plains of Moab and they looked across and there was Jericho, which was the first city that God was going to give them and let them conquer and the walls fell down. So it's the same area, the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So he was a Moabite descendant of Lot who lived there. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. Well, you can imagine three million or more people marching up toward you. And he was sick with dread, this king. So Moab said to the elders of his country, Now this company will lick up all that's around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. So this Balak the king sent messengers to Balaam the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him saying, Look, now see it doesn't tell you exactly, but it probably the sons of the river that would be the west bank of the Euphrates. So that's where he was from. He was from northern Mesopotamia in Pethor, located on the west bank of the Euphrates. I should read Dr. Friary's notes first. So he sent messengers to Balaam, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Well, you can imagine, he was scared to death. Therefore, please come at once, curse this people for me, for they're too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, 
lodge here tonight. So Balaam said, you stay here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. I'll let the Lord talk to me and I'll bring you word of what he says. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? As if God didn't know, but he wanted Balaam to come forth with who it was. And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me saying, look, a people has come out of Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. Remember what God said to Abram, leave your country. Those that bless you, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. I'll bless you, Abraham. So Balaam rose in the morning, said to the princes of Balak, go back to your land for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. Then the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. They came to Balaam and said, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly and will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. So here is a believer who will do anything we're going to see for money. He can be hired. Now, therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord may say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call you and rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam arose in the morning, saddled his donkey, went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him and as he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. See, now see, the Lord can do all of this. The Lord opened the donkey's mouth. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you've ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of the Arnon River, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now, uh, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kirjath Huzath. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. 
So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. You can go up where they worship Baal at the top of this mountain. You can see how many people there are. Then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand by your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me. Whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height and God met Balaam. And he said to him, I have prepared seven altars and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he returned to him and there he was standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab, and he took up his oracle. Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, or Adam, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? And from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone. And that's been true of Israel all along. They're pretty much alone with all the neighbors hating them. They're dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you've blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only the outer part of them and shall not see them all. Curse them for me from there. So he brought him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, Mount Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak and thus you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? Then he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He is blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob. I love that verse. I've underlined it several times because God says he hasn't observed iniquity in Jacob. And you read through the Old Testament and you see how wicked they were, how they turned against the Lord. But in God's sight, he says, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord is God is with him and the shout of a king is among them. And I've written here from somebody. He said, a justified people, if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8 said, God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor is there any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness, lifts itself up like a lion, it shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, didn't I tell you saying all that the Lord speaks that I must do? Then Balak said to Balaam, please come, I'll take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, build for me here seven altars and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and a ram on every altar. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped 
according to their tribes. And the Spirit of God came upon Balaam. Then he took up this oracle and said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, this is El Shaddai, or overpowering mighty one, the spirit of El Shaddai, he falls down with eyes opened wide. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. He bows down, he lies down like a lion, and as a lion who will rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you, and cursed is he who curses you. Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam, the prophet. And he struck his hands together, and Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you've bountifully blessed them these three times. Now, therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. So Balaam said to Balak, Did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I couldn't go beyond the word of the Lord to do either good or bad on my own will. But what the Lord says, that I must speak. And now, indeed, I am going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people, these Jews, will do to your people, the Moabites, in the latter days. Then he took up his oracle. In the latter days would be like before the Lord comes back to rule, and these people are all these these Arabs that live all around Israel today. In the latter days. Then he said, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, this is Jesus, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. Isn't that a wonderful prophecy? A star. Would the wise men follow the star? A star shall come out of Jacob. That's his first coming. And a scepter shall rise out of Israel. That's his second coming when he comes to rule the earth. The scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also his enemies shall be a possession. While Israel does valiantly, out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked on Amalek, and he took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but he shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites and took up his oracle against them. These were all descendants from Esau. Then he looked on the Kenites and he said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock, probably Petra. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Asher carries you away captive? So this is about the Syrians when they took Israel captive and were so terribly cruel to them. They put hooks in their tongues and their jaws and dragged them up back to Assyria. Most of them didn't make it. Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coasts of Cyprus, and they shall afflict Asher and afflict Eber. So shall Amalek until he perishes. Then Balak arose and departed, returned to his place. Balak also went his way. But they listened to what Balak told them to do. The people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. He said, I can't curse you, but here's what you can do. You can go and commit harlotry with the Moabites. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord, verse 3, was aroused against Israel. So this was punishment because Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. So sin with Israel, sin with sin unto death, because they, they joined themselves in sex with these heathen. 
And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent, thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. So what Balaam got them to do caused this awful plague. 24,000 died in this plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant or a contract of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of a father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zur. He was head of a people of a father's house in Midian. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes, by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor, in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of a leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. That's enough about Balaam. Back to our place in Revelation. In chapter 2, verse 12, And to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, These things, says he who has a sharp two-edged sword, I know your work, where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. You held fast my name and didn't deny my faith in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have there those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And what was the manna? It was hidden in the Ark of the Covenant, the food. And I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, Now, so that brings us to another character in the Old Testament. Evidently, there was a woman like the ancient Jezebel, the Moabite princess, or the Sidonian princess. She married Ahab and caused Israel to turn to idolatry. Dr. Ryrie says this false prophetess may actually have been named Jezebel. More probably, however, she was a well-known woman whose actions made her a contemporary counterpart of the notorious Jezebel of 1 Kings 18 and 2 Kings. And she's the one that Elijah had this confrontation with her priest. And she fed 250 of these Baal priests at her table every day. Imagine having a, a dining room that big that she could feed all these heathen prophets. That woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and beguile my servants, to commit sexual immorality, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. She didn't repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and will give to each one of you according to your works. But to you, I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, 
and who have not known the depths of Satan, as they call them, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the potter's vessels shall be broken to pieces. I also have received from my Father, and will give him the morning star. This is a wonderful, the bright and morning star. That's Jesus' name, through Christ himself. At the end, did we read that? The end of Revelation in Revelation 22. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. That's another name for Jesus, the morning star. And, you know, I love to think that before the sun comes up, there's the morning star. And I love to think that this might be the rapture before the sun of righteousness comes, as we read in Malachi. We'll come to that later, but there's some wonderful thoughts that you get when you go over this and meditate on it. So I will give him the morning star, verse 28. You as an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I'm just wondering if that morning star could be the rapture. Dr. Ryrie says, referral to Jesus, perhaps the immortal life that one will receive from Christ. But why not the rapture? I kind of like that better. So that's the end of this. And so next week, we'll take the church of Sardis. This was the city of Aesop. (laughs) And King Croesus, one of the richest men in the world, Uh, the message to this rich church in Sardis. So that's where we'll start next week. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. Bless it to our heart and bless the words that we've read and all the things we've talked about to our hearts that we might have more desire to read your word every day for ourselves. We ask these things and blessing on each one represented in our families. And we especially ask for Aaron's husband, Philip, where the hospital gave him the wrong medicine. We ask that you'd rectify it and keep him safe from all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.